דוקטור, דוקטור, can't you see I'm burning, burning? If you're old enough to have heard about the Thompson twins, you probably know this song. It's one of their most, uh, or more famous songs. Hi, I'm Ike Aramba, you can call me Ike, and welcome to another episode in our podcast, Strange Man in a Strange Land. And in this episode, I'll be talking about Australia's health system and how it works for a new immigrant, as well as how it works for people in Australia already. We normally call these people residents. Just as an anecdote, when I arrived at Australia, I was actually sick. I had a bit of a cold that I carried with me, and because of the long flights, that didn't do me any good. And as people who are experienced in uh, long flights, especially transatlantic or transpacific, uh, when you arrive at your destination, you do get a very good chance of becoming sick. It could be because you're exposed to a brand new family of viruses and germs, I don't know, but a lot of people after a long flight get sick, and I was one of those lucky ones. The problem is you get sick when you're in a brand new country. You don't really know how things work. So in order to help you with that, here's an episode about the Australian health system, especially how it applies to brand new immigrants. Hope you enjoy. First things first, let's clear a few of the elephants in the room. When we're talking about a health system in a modern country, in a first world country, we should probably separate between the USA and the rest of the first world. I don't know what you think about the American health system. I do not have a positive opinion about it. I do not approve of having to pay a lot of money to the point, to the point where it's unaffordable to quite a lot of people. in order to receive health services. In Israel, for example, uh, where I came from, you hardly pay any money to go and see a normal doctor. You also, at least in my time, you tended to pay a little bit of money for private health insurance. It was never clear why. I think that with time, private health in Israel picked up, uh, but it's still... not that much money, and you will still receive decent health care by the state system. We can argue about what decent is or not, but the point is nobody is declined service. Nobody is told, oh, you got cancer, but you don't have money for it. Go and die in peace. I actually think quite highly about the UK's NHS system. I'm sure... Brits amongst uh, listener, listeners will be quick to point out issues with the system and they will point at inefficiencies and they will complain about having to pay for people that don't uh, carry the burden. But I still think it's good to have a democratized system where people stand in queue and everybody receives the care that they're due to receive. And in general, it's good care. I know these opinions of mine are not universal, so bear in mind when you listen to this episode, because a lot of what I'm going to say is opinion-based. In general, there are two health systems in Australia. There is the public one, which is called Medicare, which should not be confused with the American Medicare system. 
all residents to Australia have entitlements uh, before this uh, Medicare system. There's also reciprocal arrangements with countries such as the UK. Um, so if you're a UK person who's in Australia, let's say you're an, a British tourist in Australia, and you go and see an Australian doctor, you will get some benefits from, from this Medicare system. Otherwise, if you are not covered by Medicare and you go and see a doctor, doctors are free to stick a price on your visit and it can be a very sticky price, not a nice type thing. The other health system in Australia is called the private health system. You need to sort yourself out there. Nobody will take care of it for you. You need to make arrangements and pay a company money in order for it to cover you and provide you with health insurance, but you do get some benefit out of it, and of course, we'll discuss it in this episode. So bottom line, there's public health, Medicare, and private health. When you arrive at Australia as an immigrant, you need to go and register yourself at a Medicare office in order to be able to enjoy Medicare benefits. There used to be lots of Medicare offices all around the place. Uh, one of the revolutions of the internet and the not so revolutionary idea of a government seeking to cut costs at all costs is to cut down on the number of Medicare offices with actual live people inside. So there are much fewer Medicare offices around. However, you should be able to find a Medicare office somewhere near you. Use the internet to find one. When you do find one and you actually find yourself inside one, the second thing you'll do after going <gasps> at the queue is to go to a person who will tell you that uh, you will need to wait for immigration to pass Medicare your details uh, since your first arrival to Australia as a person who's entitled to Medicare services. If you're a tourist, for example, and you've arrived at Australia, then your information will not be passed over to Medicare. However, if you arrived with some uh, residency visa, immigration will pass that information automatically to Medicare. I think it's supposed to take about two weeks for that to happen. If you arrive at a Medicare office before immigration passed your details over, and I did it, I went to check on them, because if you remember, I was sick. They will not know who you are, and they basically tell you to go home and wait. But eventually, magic happens, and your details go to Medicare from immigration, from that you entering Australia at, the, at an airport. They will recognize you. You need to come with your passport, they will issue you with a Medicare number, and a bit later, if I remember correctly, you receive a Medicare card by mail, and that's it. You're entitled to your Medicare services. There are different in, uh, sets of entitlements. Not everybody receives the same Medicare card. If you're a citizen or a permanent resident, you get a green card, which is the, the full-on one. If you're a UK citizen and here to stay for a while, you get, I think it's a different colored one, but I'm not sure it didn't apply to me.
Now let's say that you're feeling unwell and you need to go to see the doctor. The doctor that you will go and see in Australia is called a GP, which is short for general practitioner. The GP sits in a GP clinic, general practice. You will go and see the doctor. Normal visit, doctor visit session is 15 minutes long. They have something called a double meeting, double appointment, which is half an hour. Some doctors will do something that's called bulk billing, which means that Medicare will cover you for the entire cost of the doctor visit. You will not need to pay out of pocket. Bulk billing is becoming rarer and rarer in Australia. Um, it's not as frequent as it used to be. Usually, I find, at least in Melbourne or the parts of Melbourne that I hang about in, that you need to pay something on top. Usually, it's almost uh, double, the, double the van damage. If, you used, if the bulk billing covers you for about $35, I think at the moment I'm recording this, it's a bit less. It's $33 or something like that. Most GPs that I attend in my area, again, it, there's a very big disclaimer there, actually charge between $70 and $80. Do the math, you end up paying around $40 or, or more for each doctor's visit. It, in, in my book, that's not cheap. If you have a sick child or something like that, it's not nice. If you don't have a lot of money, it's not nice either. It's even worse. It's even worse if you compare it to the situation in the Israel that I left where you would pay something like uh, $3 or something like that in order to see a doctor for the first time in a quarter and then all subsequent visits of, to that doctor within the same quarter do not cost you any more money. So we're talking about an order of magnitude difference here in cost. As a result of this cost issue, Clinics that do bulk bill are quite sought after and the queues there could be horrendous. Now you'll probably ask, what's the point in going to a GP that charges extra? You prefer to spend half an hour long, longer and save $40 and go to a bulk billing clinic. Well, that, that's nice, assuming you actually have one around you. Usually, if you look hard enough, you will find one around you. But the bulk billing comes with a price. In my experience, the bulk billing doctors, it's more like a butcher shop. I know I'm being very harsh in my description here, but the, the point I'm trying to make is that they, these doctors do not allocate as much time and attention to you it's more like, hey, you got a fever, boom, take a pill, go home, bye-bye. Whereas the doctor that uh, charges you extra tends to be more attentive, tends to familiarize themselves with you, and in effect, you get what you pay for. And if you have a family member that's in need or having uh, particular issues, as opposed to just a healthy young person who needs a certificate for work because he's got a cold then I find that going to a doctor where you pay extra pays off in the long term. Of course, it's easy for me to spend your money. All I'm trying to do here is to let you know the world we live in in Australia at the moment as far as general practitioners are concerned. 
in general, as somebody who works in Australia, I find that GPs are a bit out of touch. Like when I have a call, I found that the aircon at office building is one of my biggest enemies. It creates congestion in my head and it's really intolerable. Or because of distances in Australia, I get to walk quite a long way in order to get to my uh, workplace. Doctors have a problem recognizing that. They think that I teleport to work and that everything is comfortable at work. And often they, I have a call, I go to the doctor, they give me two days off, but two days later, I'm feeling, I might be feeling better, but I'm not feeling good enough to walk uh, half an hour in order to get to work. And I'm not good enough to stay for a full working day at the office at the aircon but they're oblivious to that. Then what, need, what tends to happen is that I need to go to see the doctor again, wait in the queue again, pay them again, and uh, hopefully get another certificate. Sometimes I just cannot be bothered. I buy the bullet, suffer, and go to work. But there's some, this friction here that I cannot say that I enjoy or like, and I do think the doctors are a bit out of touch. That said, compared to Israel, the GP experience is much nicer. When you wait at the doctor's clinic, there's a queue and people are nice to one another. And last time I've been to Israel, I went to see the doctor for a relative of mine and the PA of the doctor, the secretary, had a circle of people around her all of them making their claims and I'm just here for a prescription and all of them were saying, I'm just here for a prescription and all of them shouting and all of them in a circle around that PA and she had to attend to each one of them one by one according to what she remembered was the right cue. That doesn't exist in Australia here. People wait in the queue and people tend to be nice to one another. So the experience of going to the doctor doesn't require a doctor in order to survive by itself. Another thing that's different to the Australian GP experience and the Israeli one, in Israel, a doctor tends to be located at just another apartment in a residential building. Whereas in Australia, they tend to be in their own separate building, usually in the company of other doctors. So you get like four or five doctors sitting at the same building, seeing people at the same time in a common clinic. One thing that's very common to Israel and the Australian GPs is you wait a long time in the queue until they see you. You you book an appointment for, let's say, 9 o'clock, and sometimes you get to see the doctor at 11 o'clock. It's not the doctor's fault necessarily. It's just because the Medicare system uh, allocates 15 minutes per visit, Most patients take more than 15 minutes, but the doctors still uh, attempt to give them the service that they need to receive. However, I would say to the wiser doctors that if they know they actually take much longer to look at each patient, nobody prevents them from allocating their appointments accordingly instead of sticking to the Medicare regime of 15 minutes. But that's just me. Normally in Australia, when you need to see a doctor, you can only access a GP. If you want to see some specialist in a particular area, say a dermatologist, you need to go to a GP first and receive what is called a referral from the GP in order to see 
a very specific dermatologist. You will talk about your problem with the GP and the GP will say, oh, I know this dermatologist who knows how to deal with your exact situation and is in your area. Here, take this letter to the dermatologist. That letter is called, that's called the referral will allow you to see this particular dermatologist for the next year from the date in which the letter uh, has been written. Otherwise, you can go and see the dermatologist yourself, but you would have to pay much more. Medicare would not cover you, and it's not nice to your wallet. It has to be said that the specialists do cost more than GPs, as in a visit to a specialist will cost you more out of pocket than the GP. There's hardly no specialist that bulk bills, although they, they do exist still. There are some still nice ones. But when you go and see the specialist, we're usually talking about uh, costs of in the hundreds of dollars. And the out of pocket tends to be in the hundreds of dollars as well. In Israel, it's different. If you want to see a dermatologist, you just go and see a dermatologist. And the cost to see them is essentially the same as the cost of seeing a normal doctor. As long, that is, as that specialist that you go and see is covered by the health fund that you're a member of in Israel. So if there's a theme in here, is that health in Australia, or at least public health in Australia, is much more expensive than its equivalent Israeli system. We are not talking about an American-grade system, but it's not the British NHS where everything is absolutely free. On the other hand, from what I've been reading and from my own experience, the health system in Australia is very good. You do get good care. You do get a caring care, if you know what I'm talking about. And in, in this respect, it's much better than countries like Israel. Another related system of public health is called PBS, or Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme. It covers costs of medicine, or specific medicines, and its aim is to keep the expenses on medications capped. So if you're if the doctor prescribes you with a medication that's in the PBS list, you don't have to pay its full price. You get uh, you, you pay a certain fee, and then the government pays the rest of it. I don't think that I ever got prescribed anything that uh, made me enjoy the benefits of the PBS system. It doesn't apply to stuff that you get for colds or at the antibiotics level. But it is considered one of the jewels in the crown of the Australian public health system. It allows people, uh, cancer patients, for example, to enjoy very affordable and effective cancer care, which I think is a very important thing, and I applaud the Australian system for delivering that. Let's talk a bit about private health which I found a very confusing thing. And I can tell you that a lot of Australians do not really understand the intricacies of the system. In general, private health is divided into two services that you get through the private health insurance that you get. And when I say private health, the full statement should be private health insurance. What you're buying is an insurance policy that lets you enjoy certain health services. 
and the two types of health services that you get. The first one is called hospital, and the second one is called extras. Let's start with hospitals. Hospitals is not for emergencies. That is, if you go and break a leg or if you have a heart attack, you do not go to a hospital and activate your private health insurance. What you will do is go to an emergency room, and most of the emergency rooms belong to public hospitals. However, there are private hospitals with their own emergency rooms. The only difference there is that you will pay money in order to get to the emergency room. But the service you will get at the emergency room would be essentially the same, maybe with a few, some fewer cues. What private health hospital service actually means is not that emergency part of the hospital visit. It is what hap happens afterwards. It's, it kicks in from the time you're actually admitted to hospital. And when you go to, just to clarify, when you go to an emergency room, they, you stay at the emergency room, they do whatever they need to do to you, and you either go home or you get admitted to hospital. So private health kicks in from that point where the emergency room says, okay, the emergency is over, it's contained, now you can go and get yourself admitted to the hospital. Again, I will uh, emphasize a certain point. Not all hospitals in Australia have emergency rooms. The majority of them probably are smallish ones that specialize in certain things. The bigger ones have emergency rooms. Only a few of the private hospitals, the more big ones, have their own emergency room. If you come and live in Australia, I think it's a wise move to find out where your nearest uh, to home emergency room is so that you know where you need to go in case something happens. Of course, you can always call an ambulance and they'll do it for you, but I th still think it's good to know. So if you do go to a public hospital, not through private health, it would be a free service. It's covered by Medicare. If you go to a private hospital or if you go to a private hospital's emergency room. In both cases, you will need to open your wallet. Once you're admitted to the private hospital's hospital part, then your private health insurance will kick in. By now, there is a good chance you're asking yourself, what's the whole point of private health insurance hospital coverage? If you did ask yourself this question, then do give yourself two points. Some of humanity's best minds are pondering that question as well. I think the short answer to this question is to make certain companies uh, be able to earn a lot of money as well as certain people. A lot of doctors make a lot of money out of this. But the more relevant answer to our discussion today is in two words, elective surgery. That is the stuff that you go to hospitals for that is not an emergency. It becomes uh, a bit like sitting at the business lounge at the airport, a queue jumping affair, instead of waiting in line with the commoners for the public health resources to become available, instead of waiting in a long queue with everybody else, for example, to have your knee replaced or your cataract fixed or whatever it is that you happening, you're happening to be suffering from, you jump the queue you book your doctor privately and you head off to your nearest private hospital in order to get your surgery without waiting as long in the queue. We're talking about waiting a week or two 
as opposed to potentially waiting months, if not years, for something like cataract. It, is, it does tend to be a nearer hospital to you than the public hospital because there's more private, small private hospitals around. But yeah, the key theme is jumping the queue and not having to wait in line with the commoners. You do get uh, nice bonuses. The, in, in a private hospital, the conditions tend to be better. You usually get your own room. If the hospital offers solo rooms that are just for one person, then you probably will get one. The food tends to be better, although we're not talking about uh, your favorite restaurant great food. Uh, over the years, these bonuses do, I could see these bonuses tend to deteriorate. The out-of-pocket costs become higher and higher, and uh, in general, the price of the private health insurance coverage uh, just goes up and up, way more than the rate of inflation. And governments on both sides of the political spectrum in Australia have approved way above inflation rate price hikes for private health insurance. So be prepared to open your wallet when you register yourself to one of these plans. Also bear in mind that private health insurance will not cover you for anything you feel like that is to do with the hospital. They only cover for registered items, usually items that are actually registered by Medicare. So you won't be able to go through plastic surgery, for example at least not the type of plastic surgery that a person does in order to look better. Depending on the policy you subscribe to, private health insurance could cover you for things like pregnancy, giving birth, cataract, or knee replacement, all of which tend to be on the more optional side of things. There are waiting periods as well, so if you book yourself into a private health insurance plan for the first time, they will not cover you if you need to go and give birth tomorrow. Usually there's a waiting period of almost a year or so. It, again, it depends on the plan. But the point is, if you find yourself pregnant and you say, oh, I want to give birth in a, a private hospital because I don't want to do it in a private hospital, even though it's not too bad in my experience. But anyway, you will not be able to do so. You need to plan in advance and book yourself a private health insurance policy before you get pregnant. Actually, pregnancy is a good example for the decadence that comes with this private health thing. If you go and have your baby through a public hospital, you will probably, as a mother, you will probably share a room with a few other mothers, but you will still get pretty good medical service. If you go and do it through private health, you will get your own room. Uh, the father would be able to stay with you. They usually get some sort of a sofa bed to uh, sleep at. And after three days or so at the hospital, the private health insurance fund will pay for you to stay a couple of days at a hotel. And we're talking about a five-star hotel, at least in Melbourne, in order to make the transition easier before you go home and have to deal with the hell that is raising a baby. Whether that's good for you or bad for you, that's up to you to decide, but it shows you where your money goes to. Going back to the cost of private health insurance, in my experience over the years, it used to pay for everything that had to do with the hospital, so that we would go to the hospital, do whatever it is that we had to do, and not have to open our wallet even. Obviously, that depends on the plan that you're on, but 
The point is that with time it tends to deteriorate. There's more and more out-of-pocket expenses. For example, if you go through surgery, nowadays the cost of the anesthetist, the person who puts you to sleep when you go to surgery, does not tend to be covered. You need to pay the anesthetist separately on the side as an additional fee to the cost of the everything else. Uh, TV and internet costs while you're hospitalized used to be bundled. Something like a TV in the room used to be taken for granted. But now I see more and more cases where they charge you extra for that and the private health insurance that you have does not cover you for that. You also don't really have a choice about it, which is fairly annoying to me at least. You go to the hospital thinking that all's well and fine and you're going to have your surgery today and then they tell you as you sign the admission paperwork that you need to pay $50 extra for TV that you don't really need to because I got a smartphone, I don't need a TV, for example. You don't really have a choice on the matter because it's not like you're going to tell them, no, don't take my tumor off, this is extortion, I'm going home, I'm not having surgery with you, I'll go somewhere else. You don't really have a choice. Hardly anybody would also complain afterwards because they're recovering from surgery and the last thing they can be bothered with is raise complaints about being ripped off at the hospital. So basically what I'm trying to say is that the private hospitals are in a position of power over you and they do tend to abuse it and the abuse grows larger and larger with time as they try and make more and more money out of things that used to be given away for free. Another problem with private health is that the Australian government is trying to encourage you to take it. And instead of giving you carrots in order to take your uh, private health insurance plan, they give you sticks. There's actually two sticks. The first is that uh, you pay more and more in compounded interest. The older you are above the age of 30, once you start joining private health. It's a bit of a convoluted way for me to explain it, but the bottom line is that if you join to private health for the first time at the age of 35, you have to pay an interest rate for every year above your age of 30. So you have to pay interest for five years because you're 35 on top of your regular premium for the private health insurance. So if you join private health insurance for the very first time at the age of 50, you will pay more than what you will pay if you join for the first time at the age of 35. You also need to have continuous private health insurance coverage. So if you join at the age of 30, stay there for two years, then stop, and then join again after a year even, you will pay that compounded interest as if you've never had coverage while you were 30. Basically, what they're trying to do is make sure that you're that you join private health before you're 30 and that you stay along for the long ride until the end. As an immigrant, you do get some leeway. There is some time from the point of time that you enter Australia that they let you uh, before you join private health. So if you migrate to Australia and you're age 40, you, it doesn't mean that you'll be hit with that compound interest rate. You have a period of time, I think it's six months, but do check on me to join private health. 
if you do join private health within that six months, then you do not need to pay the interest surcharge. The other stick is called the Medicare levy, which uh, implies that if you do not hold a private health insurance policy, then you're taxed, I don't remember if now it's 1% of your income or 2% of your income, or it's something along these lines, on top of the normal tax, and it's called Medicare levy. Because of this Medicare levy, all the private health insurance funds have a cheap policy that's designed purely for the young in insurer, or young insured, actually, so that they can take a policy that of private health that doesn't give them much, but it's cheaper than paying the Medicare levy. If you ask me, that proves that the whole private health insurance coverage, at least on the hospital side, is not much more than a sophisticated government-sponsored pyramid scheme. Like all insurance policies, you're probably going to pay much more for your insurance policy than you will get back from the insurance for your medical expenses. The best rates for private health insurance are usually acquired through corporate policies, usually through work, but it's obviously not all employers that offer such corporate policies. You need to be working for a large organization that can negotiate a fee with a private health fund, and that fee may be more attractive. The more attractive uh, corporate fees tend to be fifteen per tend to give you fifteen percent discounts. I will finish this section by saying that, in my opinion, public hospi hospitals in Australia are not bad at all. Of course, there's room for improvements, and some hospitals are better than others. I've had the pleasure, if you can call it that, of spending nights at both public hospitals and private hospitals. And in the public hospitals I've been to, I've always received great care. The nurses were always able to point me at the best coffee in the area. And I would say that uh, all the hospitals I've been to in Australia are leagues apart from their Israeli, Israeli equivalents in terms of service quality and in terms of reducing the horror show experience element of a hospital visit. And let's face it, all hospital visits are horrific. You never really want to be there. Do bear in mind that by international standards, Israeli hospitals are pretty good. They're considered good. I don't consider them good compared to Australian ones, but... But this only serves as testimony to the quality of the Australian health system or hospital systems. Not again that I lack criticism towards the Australian health system. There is a lot of things to improve and I think there is a big need to improve them. It's time to talk about that other magnificent facet of Australian private health insurance, which is the extras. By extras, the references towards things like physiotherapy, eyeglasses, dental services, but it's also, it also includes some bizarre, non-scientifically proved stuff like chiropractic or acupuncture. For some reason, I don't know why, 
Australian private health insurance will fund you through chiropractic uh, service, even though you sort of wonder what the science is behind it. Do look at Wikipedia and you will see that there is no science behind it. With regards to the extras coverage you would get, it used to be that you would get things for free. For example, I used to receive under my private health policy two dental examinations and cleanups a year, as well as uh, I've had fillings done on my teeth that I didn't have to pay for. As with the hospital coverage, things have deteriorated over the years. Now, in almost all the policies, I think in all the policies I'm aware of, there is nothing free. What you get is some percentage back. Depending on how much uh, you pay for your policy, you get a yearly allowance. For example, $500 for basic dental treatment, which includes things like uh, routine checkups, cleanups, and fillings, but does not include things like root canals or crowns. And again, depending on the policy you have and how good it is, the health insurance fund will pay 50% or 60% or even 80% of the bill up to that yearly limit, and you pay the rest. So every visit to the dentist costs you some money. As you can see, whereas before it used to be that preventative treatment was free, you would go to the dentist in order to go through a routine cleanup and checkup just to make sure your teeth are fine. Now it's not free. So the health insurance funds are uh, earning more money through it, but on the other hand, our teeth will not be as well uh, maintained because a lot of people will say, no, I'll skimp on the visit to the dentist. I will not do that preventative treatment in order to save money. Similarly to private health insurance for hospitals, you will not get extras on anything you feel like through your policy. They will only cover you for recognized items and only through recognized practitioners. Each health fund will have people that are registered with it and you would be able to go to them, for example, to receive physiotherapy. But you won't be able to go to your friend from next door that's really nice and get physiotherapy from them just because you feel like it if they're not, uh, and, and the private health insurance fund will not fund you for that if they're not registered. I do like to spend a few words and a few moments of your time discussing other aspects of the Australian health system, and that's the way I feel about the interaction with the average Australian doctor. In short, I would say that doctors tend to be full of themselves. They are not used to being questioned. Australian people are, in general are way too polite. And I find that when I ask a question to the doctor, like they tell me something and I question them as to how they got to this diagnosis or anything like that, they look at me as if I've just committed an act of heresy. How can I question the word of God? It's blasphemy. Their secretaries or personal assistants or whatever you want to call them also feel like that if you question them or ask a, or make a comment that could be interpreted negatively, they will make you pay for your lack of vision. Which is interesting because uh, you see that there are many things that the doctors really have no idea about. 
Most of the doctors I go to are still running Windows XP in their clinics, but uh, they treat you like vermin if you question their IT practices. Most of them use Gmail for uh, communication, for email communication to send you stuff and things like that. Completely unaware of the fact that Google reads those emails and does what it does with these things. And personally, I do not want Google to know what's going on with my medical records. And I do not want them to be on top of them or much more than on top of them than I am. I do get the feeling that uh, in this regard, uh, the same situation applies to Israel. Things like privacy are not a consideration with doctors, but obviously it doesn't make it right. I think the bigger problem here is that doctors will not accept criticism. You're not allowed to question them. With that in mind, I will also talk about the Australian electronic health system. It's been going on for a while. Uh, it's been a big waste of money and it's unsuccessful. However, the government has re recently decided to turn it into an opt-out system instead of an opt-in system in an effort to revive it and make sure people actually use it. And what better way of reviving it and making sure people actually use it than forcing it on people? Given the Australian government's track record in this regard, you can see that this is going to be fun and it's going to go well. I'll give you an example uh, last year, I think it was last year, maybe the year before, the government released health data that was allegedly de-anonymized to health researchers. It was the health data of 10% of the population and all their health data over a period of uh, several years. Shortly after they released it to the public, it was made clear that the data could be identified really easily as in the data that was allegedly anonymized through this and that, you could tell that this person had that done in their uh, health record history. You could point it to actual people. The government's response to this was to make a law making it illegal to respectively, retrospectively sorry, identify de-identified data which obviously will stop all the criminals out there from doing it with the data that they've released, because the criminals always do things above board and in public view. Another fun health-related privacy problem that was recently identified in Australia is a journalist working for The Guardian has found that you can easily buy Australian Medicare numbers and Medicare information online, you can buy it and uh, buy it live and it's quickly and uh, done relatively easily. The problem there is that Australian Medicare numbers are used for identification. In Australia, you do not have an ID card. So in order to identify that you are who you claim to be, you provide all sorts of identity-related information, such as a passport, driver's license, or a Medicare card. So if people know what your medical card number is, they have the, the, there's one step less for them to take if they want to take over your bank account, for example. But it's all fine under our Australian government, a government that clearly doesn't know how to do information technology well, but likes to throw billions of dollars at it.
I started this episode telling you how I was sick with the cold when I arrived to Australia. At the time, I wasn't able to see a doctor because Medicare did not receive my information in time from immigration for me to see a doctor. It didn't really matter. What I had was the common cold. I just had to take pills and live with it for a while, and it was over. Since then, I've had many, plenty of good opportunities to test the Australian medical system with, and I can report generally good outcomes. Australia does have a good health system, probably one of the world's best. It is expensive, though, and the sad thing about it is that with private health the way going the way it is and sponsored the way it is by the government, the Australian health system tends to err more and more towards the American health system. It's becoming less and less affordable. And you can see it clearly with dental care, which is, it can be really expensive. It's not covered by Medicare and only the bigger or more expensive private health funds will fund it partially through their extras cover. So it's, it tends to be an aching point. Haha, <laughs> what a pan again. If you compare it to Germany, for example, there you can get dental coverage and it's quite good. So... I would prefer to pay the higher taxes that they pay in Germany and in return enjoy living knowing that I do not need to worry about whether I'd be able to fund my teeth in the future or my oral hygiene in the future or not. Fact of the matter is, each and every one of us is bound to use the health system at one stage or another, usually at the worst time and at the worst circumstances that they can think of, but they will need it. So why not help the system that we will need to use in our time, biggest time of need? Why not help it and make sure that when we do need to go to the emergency room and when that happens, it will almost always be a public hospital's emergency room. Why not make sure that that experience is as pleasant as it can be? Because at the moment, that's not the case. At the moment, the government seems more focused on defunding and cutting down health budget than they seem to be helping health budgets. They seem to work under the assumption that the market would work itself out, but it doesn't seem to work. The private health insurance funds care about making money. They do not care about providing good health outcomes. And they also only work in a limited spectrum. It's the Medicare spectrum that's much more relevant in cases of urgent need. That's it for today's episode. As usual, you can contact me on Twitter at strangemanland or on, through email at strangemanland at tutanota.com. See you at the next episode, and for now, bye-bye from Ike. This show has been sponsored by the number 8 times table. The number 8 featuring hits such as 16, 32, 64, and of course, 88.